Stanley shows up out of the blue to take Dorothy and Sophia out to a ball game, the girls know something is up. And they're right. Stan is more broke than usual. And before he can cry and beg for financial support, Sophia is struck with a foul ball and gets wrapped into one of his long cons. Will Sophia and Stan get busted for their big lie? Will Rose or Blanche be chosen as the Jellicle Cat? Will the Burger Boy get more acting gigs? All of that and more in today's episode, Bang the Drum Stanley. Thank you for the friendship. We've come so far and traveled wide. Oh, you're my best friends. I could never lie. I love when we party, dance, and sing. And laugh just doing our things. No matter the misters that come and go. has been happening more often this season, we have a clear inspiration for the title. Bang the Drum Slowly was originally a book in 1956 that was first adapted to a television play starring Paul Newman. In 1973, there was a film version starring Robert De Niro, Michael Moriarty, Heather McRae, Danny Aiello, and Selma Diamond. Instead of a story about a son and mother-in-law scamming a baseball team, it's about two teammates. One is bright and the other is, shall we say, dimmer. On top of that, one of the men has a terminal illness. The trailer made the movie appear rough to get through, but I could be very wrong as it has a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. Whatever happens to one must happen to the other. Trade it, sold, whatever. I'm scared. Hold on to me. You know about the condition of my son. Yes, sir. How, how can he be so sick and play so well? Bang the drum slowly is the story of two friends. A rollicking baseball team, a pennant race, the roar of the crowd, and the quiet dignity of the human spirit. Yeah, I've never had a desire to see that. I thought it was like, a, I thought it was like a war movie or something. Yeah, I had no idea. It's I've, a, I'd heard a, of it. It's a baseball it's film, a or is baseball, it like? Well, it's a baseball teammate film. It's about the two guys on the team. Huh. And I think Robert De Niro plays, um, you know, a role that's not appropriate for him to play. Shouldn't have done it. In nearly all cream, except for some floral embellishments on her cardigan, we find Sophia in the living room, sitting in the chair, going through the largest photo album thine eyes hast ever seen. Entering from the kitchen in flowing pants and a bright red sweater, Dorothy is delighted to look at the photos with her ma. Sophia even has something nice to say about Dorothy, calling her a cute kid, an angel at seven years old, adorable at 11, 15 though, like for most of us, was the beginning of the end. I think mine was about 13 and a half, 14 years old. Coco, when would you say was the beginning and end of your awkward phase? There's going to be an end? <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Truly. Have you ever seen me talk to a stranger? <laughs> It still doesn't go I great. Guess, I guess I think awkward face tends to be focused more on looks. I feel I've re-entered one with the COVID weight I've put on. I'm back into an awkward face. Yeah, I feel awkward too. Uh, I think just because I'm like, a, I feel, I think I feel, am I a phantom? I feel like a ghost. 
I like never see That's anybody. That's because we don't see people. Yeah. I think I'm a ghost. <laughs> and they usually come over here. So you're like just in your element. Oh, it is. It's like Maybe the show haunting. Ghosts. <laughs> the hilarious CBS sitcom Ghosts. And you're just haunting this house and you don't know that you're dead. Ah. I wouldn't be so bad. <sighs> if this is what it's like, it's pretty good. Yeah. I get to do I'd a like podcast. to know. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be nice to know and then not be fearful of death. Like, I'm dead. This is it. Awesome. That would be really awesome, actually. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, like, be, oh, seriously, in Beetlejuice, when they both, spoilers, they both die at the beginning, <laughs> and they're just, like, hanging out together in the yeah. attic, and he's, like, she's doing her thing, and he's, like, building his diorama yeah. of, the ho- of the city. It's great. It's great. <laughs> they look so comfortable. That's what you hope happens after you die. Yeah. Just you <laughs> and me hanging out together? Happens. Yeah. Well, yeah. It'd be pretty cool. We can stretch our faces and then kiss. <laughs> Coming home from play auditions, Rose in a taupe jacket over a bright floral pattern dress and Blanche in a bright blue dress had a wonderful time. Everyone who auditioned was so bad, even Dorothy could have been given a part. To which Blanche disagrees. The musical they'll be performing is Cats. In order to embody the creature, one must be sexy, refined, graceful, something Dorothy could never do. To this, Dorothy agrees. How could she even compete with Blanche, who, like a cat, has given so many wonderful performances in back alleys? I really love Dorothy's delivery here. It's one of those where she flat out sends Blanche to the burn unit, but she doesn't even bother looking away from the mail she's sorting. Yeah, Rose, don't you know that Dorothy isn't graceful or agile enough to play a jellical cat in the musical Cats? Cats was actually based on a T.S. Eliot poem collection that Andrew Lloyd Webber turned into songs. After a shaky start, the crowds went crazy for this catty play, making it the fourth longest-running Broadway show at 7,485 performances and the seventh longest in the West End at 8,949 shows. Coco, I was lucky enough to go to the theater before the edits happened, and then you and I watched... For Thanksgiving, I believe, with your father, the new Cats film. This is true. What was different about the version you watched in the theater versus what you saw? They still had um, some human hands. Fully human? Yeah. Wow. And I never saw a butthole, but I believe it still had the cat buttholes. Well, get over here. (laughs) And I don't remember if there were like... um, I don't think there was any green left. I think some people did see a screening where there was like the the CS, CSI, no. <laughs> the CGI, like the backdrop? CGI, yeah. The green, the green like backdrop? Like on their body. Like, oh, yeah. You know, the costumes. For their ear nubbins or whatever. Yeah. Of all the thousands of questions that film brings up for me, the biggest question is what is different about it on stage that doesn't make it seem um, totally insane? You know, how did it do 9,000 shows at the West End? I don't know. When I was a kid, I remember there were these commercials yes. that were like, cats. Yes. Now and forever. Yes. And when I was a kid, For I like was like. like the touring show, right? Yeah. And yeah. I was like, I'm just confused. Cats, call 239-6200 for your chance to take the trip out of your world into theirs. The other world of cats. Now and forever live at the Winter Garden Theater on Broadway and 50th Street. It doesn't look. What is that? Like, I never knew. I never, I never, and I never looked into it. I never knew until the Me movie too. came out what the plot was. Cause I, well, I mean, you just can't, you can't 
imagine it. No, I thought it was kind of a, um, well, I assumed it was like a Toy Story for cats. Yeah, like when the, the people go to sleep yeah. and then the cats are having a, a fun. day in the life of a cat exactly. in the alley eating some tuna and chasing mice, you know? That's what I thought. Not, we love being cats and we can't wait to die. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> now that Now that I've seen the film, and this is no judgment to anyone who loves cats. I'm saying that I don't get, like, I miss. We don't get it. It's not for me. My palate is not refined enough. This is not a cat's judgment. And like I said, I'm sure it's completely different on stage. But everyone knows that that movie did not work. I felt bad for the people in it, like Misty Copeland and, um, oh, God, that other girl who's a dancer. She's in music videos. She's amazing. I don't know. I'm glad it happened to James Corden. <laughs> right, well, that's not going to work, is it? Okay? Look at you and look at me, and you know, you know that I'm sensitive about my size. Okay? And yet you embarrass me. You, <laughs> That's what I say to you. <laughs> okay? Couldn't have happened to a, to a more him person. <laughs> J-Hud's performance was wasted because that moment is so beautiful. That song, I do love that song. It always gives me goosebumps. But then she has to be a horrible sort of cat but i also i crave it sometimes well that a, a good disaster movie like that will do that and i don't mean dante's peak or volcano <laughs> but a fiasco an absolute just like at the holiday season i was like wrapping stuff or something i'm like do i want to put on cats yeah there's something i um... want to see idris elba in that little jaunty cap <laughs> and is in he, the land wait, is he puss in boots And let's not forget that the land they live in, for the most part, is proportionally cat and human, except for when the cats keep changing sizes. Sometimes they're as big as hamsters, <laughs> and sometimes they're as, uh, I don't know, as tiny as Godzilla. <laughs> Who knows? It's insane. But then it the is land is themed for cats. There's no bar, but there's milk bars, and there's no whatever. It's like a yarn store. It's all cat-themed. So are the people part cat or something? And what do they do other when they're not doing this stuff? When it's not Jellicle Night or whatever? That's a good question. Because it seems, I mean, there's definitely some sort of economy. There's a bar. People are wearing clothes. Someone, some cat is making those clothes. (laughs) Capitalism. Mm -hmm. Like capitalism. I know. And I felt crazy, too, by the end. I was like, I don't think I'm understanding this right, because what I think is happening is all the cats are going and they're doing a talent show, and then whoever's the best gets chosen by the top cat, and then they get to die and they leave in a hot air balloon because being a cat actually sucks or something. And, I, and then it ended, and I was like, wait, is that really what it was? I wonder. Oh, <laughs> like, maybe I actually understood it correctly. <laughs> I wonder if it's making fun of, like, organized, mocking organized religion. Because it's like you, but you, you it sit so... here and you... you Seem like you're having a great time. Yeah. But really, your only goal is to like die and go to. Yeah. Uh, That's a good point. Heaven. I've never looked into that. I. Uh, it, yeah. It seems so sincere that there's no room for satire. Yeah, I'm curious what the what the poems are actually yeah. like. I mean, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna point. say that I'm gonna read those. It's gonna be very hard for me to read a poem. <laughs> it's gonna be incredibly it difficult. Elliot, that's true. So maybe that's. Oh yeah, better. he did the wastelands. I think. I believe so. I wonder if it's from that. So there you go. Oh, maybe it is from that. And then that would answer a lot. So it's like an apocalyptic wasteland. Maybe all the people are dead. (gasps) 
and they've turned it into Catland. Wow. No, I think we see, do we see people? I don't remember. It was a traumatic experience. There's so much happening and it all looks so <laughs> crappy. And let's not forget. Taylor Swift. Oh my God, I did forget. He's the battlement of Scotland Yard. The flying squad's despair. When they reach the scene of crime, the cavity's not there. Oh, what? Well, I was going to say, let's not forget Jason Derulo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, God, I forgot about Taylor Swift. Oh, yeah, and she was like sexy cat. Sorry to make you guys horny. I have boobs. What? I literally could do an entire different show just on the madness of that film, but let's do this one instead. As mad as Blanche is at Dorothy's remark, she's also reminded of Ed Tyler, whose large mouth has her feeling the urge to give him a call. Wowzas, spicy. Rose gives out a slight giggle to her silly friend. Oh, what a character she is. And what a cheap slut, too. What benefit would a big mouth be for... Um, uh, maybe a larger tongue. Okay. Maybe some square footage, maybe some mm -hmm. coverage yeah. of places. Yeah, you want to be able to kind of paint, Engulf. paint the deck in a few strokes. <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> I got, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Putting her papers aside, Dorothy gets up to answer the door when there's a ring. After Stan introduces himself and Dorothy doesn't give a crap, he helps himself to the house. Coming in, he's twaddling about hearing a baseball game on the radio and how it took him back to seeing the Dodgers play back in the day and how fun it would be to do again. Dorothy recommends he start driving now as the Dodgers had moved to Los Angeles in 1958, so it would take him about five days to get there. But he isn't just thinking about the game. He was thinking about the times he took Dorothy to the games. In the summer heat, they'd get hot dogs and sodas, watch the game, cuddle up, and make out. As Stan embraces Dorothy, recalling these passionate moments, she reminds him he never took her to Ebbets Field. When he double-checks with a, no, Ellen shows up to answer. Well, I, I would say it's not for everyone. Um, that's what I would say. Sorry, that wasn't Ellen barking. That was Dorothy barking a no to Stanley. Trying to correct course, unreminding her that he was a cheating dirtbag, he corrects himself. Oh, that's right. That was just with the guys from work. Dorothy's stand limit has been reached and she wants him gone. But he wants to take her to a baseball game as it will be the time of her life. Funny enough, those were the same words he used to get her in bed or car the first time. But that's one heck of a plot whoopsie, as we know in the past, she basically accused him of assault as she was slipped something, passed out, and woke up to him carving a notch on his dash. Hmm. Okay, here's the real deal. Stan has no friends, and he's stuck with three tickets to the baseball game that day, and he'd like Sophia and Dorothy to join him. Dorothy's not very interested, but when Stan presents the choice of a ball game or going to bed with him, not that he was going to make her, but that it was something worse than a baseball game, she gives in. Why did he take her to the ball game? To What was that? Why was that? Like, why did this happen? Yeah. That's a great question because as we learn in just a moment when they're at the game, he's about to confess to being broke and is probably going to ask for money like he always does. Then why did you spend money on baseball tickets? I think just because he's so showy. Everything has to, he's always putting on airs, you know? Right. 
oh, that this is about this, but really I need money. Yeah. yeah. So it's more like now that I've treated you I've and done he's, you a favor. Yeah, yeah. He's very much, you know. And <sighs> so maybe it's like, well, hey, now that I've taken you out and maybe being in a public place, mm-hmm. she can't like beat him. <laughs> That's how he thinks, I guess. Will he ever learn? <sighs> no. Hot Dog gets a new location. As the ragtag team of spectators make their way to their seats, Dorothy is short of breath after all of the stairs it took to get to the second from the top row. But for Stanley, this is how baseball was meant to be seen, in the park with real grass. He loathes AstroTurf. Unless, as Sophia points out, it's on his head. Much better uh, toupee action, though, now. Yeah. That is a that is a handsome wig it for that nice man. It's nice and thick. Yeah. It, it laid nice on the sides. It really looks, it looked pretty good. It looked better than the last one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or his comb over. Well, I love a good comb over. <laughs> Stan, also out of breath, is so happy to be at the game, he isn't even phased by Sophia's slight. While they've been broken up for years, there is something kind of endearing about how Stan still calls Dorothy babe. Maybe he's a scumbag who refers to every woman that way, but in the context of making sure that she's comfortable, as he's doing now, there's kind of a sweetness there. Yeah, even if he called other women that, he still called her that. Yeah. And she didn't know, I think, for the most part about that. Yeah, and she seems kind of, she doesn't ever tell him to shut up with it, you know? There's sort of a wistfulness to the way that she looks at him sometimes where Mm -hmm. she's just... Like you could see it kind of tugs well, at her. Well, 40 years together. Yeah, that she just like, oh, I wish things had been different. Yeah. Stan, you tall idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Dorothy is quite comfortable and even feeling lucky as she tends to end up next to the shirtless, sweaty, hairy guy at public events. No offense to those guys, but come on. I can't tell you how many mosh pits back in the day would be ruined by that guy. And it's not that you're hairy, and it's not if you're bigger, and it's not just because you're sweaty. Just put your shirt on. Let that absorb the sweat. We're all sweaty. Just keep it on. I can't handle seeing the hairs glisten and stick to your skin. And then to mine, just keep the shirt on, okay? Feeling someone's sweat transfer (laughs) to your body and then evaporate (laughs) makes you feel sick. (laughs) Unless it's... In a public situation, it's... Awful. Thank you. Yes. In private. (laughs) (laughs) I feel nuts today, man. Well, Dorothy has spoken too soon as a man is now approaching the empty seat next to her. He's a larger guy. He's already a little shimmery. He's hairy. And of course, he's now down to a white tank top. Enough skin that will bump up against Dorothy's arm the entire time. Stan is obsessed with caring for Dorothy. Do you need a hot dog? Do you need a cushion? It doesn't take her long to realize there's something else going on. With just that question, Stan crumbles. Okay, he's having some money issues. That money issue being that he's bankrupt and just needs a little cash to get through the month. I declare bankruptcy! When you read that part about him offering a hot dog? Mm Mm-hmm. That sounded so nice. I wish someone would yeah. just offer me a hot dog. And I, I honestly like, I do want a hot dog. <laughs> I want it now. I'll want one later. So good. Yeah, especially in that kind of setting. Like, mm. you're going to go get me food and beverage? A steamed wiener? 
Yeah. Uh. With that, Dorothy has had it and she wants to go. But after all that walking, Sophia wants to see at least one batter hit. We hear the crack of the bat. Stan's eyes widen and it's clear the ball is headed straight for them. Stanley stands, arms out to catch the ball, but his perception is off. Then, with a thwack, the ball nails Sophia in the head. This isn't a rare occurrence. According to ArnoldTKin.com, one report found foul balls injured more than 800 people at MLB games from 2012 to 2019. And that was only information from four teams. There are 26 other teams and stadiums that didn't provide information. Yikes. As far as general injuries in just 2013, apparently for all stadiums, 1,756 injuries were reported. There have even been deaths at sporting events. And while you'd think the 100-mile-per-hour baseball would be a more likely cause, it isn't. There have been several mass events from around the world, including bleachers collapsing and fires, which have led to deaths. Some of the instances that led to individual deaths, according to LeoIsaac.com, have been caused by a flare that was fired into the crowd in Wales, a parachuter that was delivering the ball for a high school football game who landed on a woman in Spearman, Texas, and a 13-year-old girl who was killed not by a baseball, but by a hockey puck in 2002. And in 2011, a man fell off the second level while trying to catch a ball. Sorry to bum everybody out. Yeah, I was, I was starting that out by like writing down the things that you were saying because I thought they were all going to be funny. And no. Then they, got, they got increasingly sadder. Debbie Downer. Hmm. Dorothy is immediately worried about her clearly dazed mother. At first, she seems okay, promising that she's fine. But when she starts to speak to Salvador, telling him that the next time they make Whoopi, they'll either start lower on the bed or get rid of the headboard before passing out, Dorothy knows something is wrong. Also, what kind of moves was Sal making in the bedroom? Even in a twin bed, the two of them were so small, it had more than enough room to not acquire any injuries. To get Sophia checked out, we're going back to Biscayne Hospital. As Dorothy sits at her mother's bedside and Stan gazes out the window, they're joined by two pussies. Rose and Blanche have come to visit and are coming straight from rehearsal, and they're still in their kitty costumes. Rose is a yellow and black striped cat. Blanche is burnt orange and black. While they're worried for her, Rose is sure Sophia will be fine as she's been in the same boat. Back in St. Olaf, playing Gawakanagan, she suffered a similar injury. Dorothy hesitates. She wants to know what Gawakanagan is, but does she really want to hear a Rose story? Eh, she only has time to kill, so she might as well ask. Gawakanagan is just like baseball, except there's no ball. You just stand on the base, hit yourself in the head ten times, and if you're still standing, you can go to first base. It's not a high-scoring game. Just like soccer, only more entertaining. Soccer Soccer slam. slam! Having done their duty to check on their friend, Blanche suggests the cats head to the cafeteria to find a cute doctor. Speaking of, the doctor is coming in the room right now. Blanche lets out a flirty, hello there, before quickly being informed that he's married. So quickly, in fact, she just gives him a a goodbye. William Dennis, playing Dr. Colley, actually got his start with this role. He acted in nine other projects. They included Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead, Star Trek The Next Generation, Growing Pains, New Heart, and Funny Enough, Perfect Strangers, and Daughter of the Streets, both of which he played doctors. 
Andy Garcia, Christopher Lloyd, Treat Williams, William Forsyth, Gabrielle Anwar, Bill Nunn, Jack Warden, Feruza Balk, and Christopher Walken. You know I could look at you forever. I wouldn't have to do anything else. Things to do in Denver when you're dead. Watching the girls leave, the doctor first seems like he's being a little pervy with his gaze, but all is well when he turns back to Dorothy and rhetorically, dad jokingly, asks if they were there to get a CAT scan. (laughs) He finds his joke to be much funnier than Dorothy does, so he gets back to work checking on Sophia. His examination light is bothering her nap, so she tells him to go away. As she comes to a bit more, she wants to know where she is and who she is and why she's all wrinkled. The Mayo Clinic tells us that head injuries that cause a concussion, whether from a car accident or sports, can lead to confusion and problems remembering new information. This is especially common in early stages of recovery. Mild head injuries typically don't cause lasting amnesia, but more severe head injuries may cause permanent amnesia. Amnesia can be as mild as Sophia's, momentary and leaving little to no long-term loss. Or it can be as severe that it's to the point that a patient would need to live in a facility not much different from that of an Alzheimer's patient. The concerns for Sophia's memory are quickly lessened when she's able to remember Stan as he's tall and a yutz with a head not dissimilar to that of a monkey's butt. Sophia may be ready to go home, but the doctor would like her to stay for two days for observation. It's hard to argue with Sophia's logic, though. For how expensive it would be to stay at the hospital that long, she could fly somewhere nice like Cancun or Martinique and stay at Club Med, where the meals would be paid for and she wouldn't have to pee into a paper cup. Club Med, from what I can remember, was always kind of the punchline of vacations. I don't know if they were just affordable to the average American so it was deemed cheap, or if they had just really cruddy properties. What I do know is that Canadian superstars Jim Carrey and Alan Thicke starred in a comedy that was barely secretly a commercial for a Colorado Club Med. This has no relation to cats, but... This seemed like the appropriate clip. Mr. Bertrangles. Mr. Bertrangles. Have you ever heard of the film Copper Mountain? Uh, no, is that like a ski comedy or something? It's a ski comedy, but oh my it's, gosh. it's at Club Med, and so it's the whole. It's it's just a, a commercial. He's like, uh, you know, the cool friend or whatever. You know, Alan Thicke uh, kind of is <laughs> as awful as Robin. They're equally bad, I think. They did bad things. They were bad, bad dad. Bad dad, bad, bad son. son. Alan Thicke dated a teenager. And Robin Thicke cheated on uh, Paula. And, and he, like, made Paxton? that set really awful. Like, Emily accounts. Oh, did he really? Yeah, she was like, oh, it was toxic awfulness. And that whole song was Paula like, Patton. Yeah. Yeah. And then... Uh, that song is disgusting. That song is terrible, even though everyone's like, this is fun. But if you listen to your, to the words, it's like, oh, no. And then he got sued because he ripped it off from Marvin Gaye. So... Did you did you ever hear about Alan Thicke that he has like he actually has like a oh massive, did he have a hog? I do talk about penises a lot, yeah, but that's okay. it's just what it does. Yeah, uh, big one. Speaking of Alan Thicke, before we move away from Copper Mountain, fun facts if you're interested, Coco. Me, yeah. <laughs> so this movie, we I think we should watch it because it has a lot of musical performances and Alan Thicke, the famed musician. Thick of the night, baby. Yeah. 
he ended up writing an album with Bill Chapman, who at one point was the lead singer of Chicago. Oh, man, I was going to try to do a Chicago song, the musical. Saturday. No. Oh, that's... Yes. <laughs> Razzmatazz. <laughs> I don't know those... As Sophia tries to make her escape, Dorothy grabs the back of her gown, opening up her backside for the doctor and her daughter to see. Coco is appreciative. They don't make hospital gowns like that anymore. I think they're worse. You would rather have it where you have to tie it so your buns don't hang out? I would just go back. I would go. I would get two back to back. I go back to back on them. The ones you have now are like a, a two thirds of a kimono. <laughs> it's very tight. It's still, It's tight. You know, it's tight. It just doesn't, it doesn't breathe. You need the flow. Why do they do that? Why do they make that the fabric? Is it like, because if we, why is that? I think it can handle being washed. <sighs> I mean, I or it's cheap and they can throw it out. When you way. die in it, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's probably what it is more than anything. Yeah. To warm up her buns, Sophia hops back into the bed, not without arguing that she's fine to go home, though. When Rose and Blanche walk in, still in their costumes, Sophia shares the doctor's concerns for her mental health, so she does what anyone would do. She screams for a medic and hides under the blanket. Back at the house, Dorothy, dressed in what can only be described as club med manager uniform of white pants and a blue, maybe sweater with red trim over a white blouse, a.k.a. baggy sweater chic, is enjoying a magazine while sitting on the couch when she hears screeching coming from the kitchen. Running into the living room is Rose in white pants and a very 80s mint green sweater with Pepto pink stripes in the middle, blocking St. Olaf written in cursive. It looks like something she got at the St. Olaf airport, if they had one. Maybe the hay bale driver sold them. Blanche is in head to toe red and they are both running from Sophia. The screams were due to Sophia's hatred of cats or at least cat-like behaviors, so she chased the girls out of the kitchen with a broom. But hear her out. She's fed up. They're drinking out of milk bowls on the ground. They're scratching on the furniture. And just now, Rose warfed up a hairball. Rose starts to explain what she was really ralphing, but Dorothy cuts her off. What? Who on earth would hear that their friend was accused of hacking up a hairball and then not let them explain what it actually was? Was it something better like candy? Or was it worse like laundry lint? I must know. There's a perfectly reasonable explanation for their behavior. Their show director told them to embody cats. So that's what they're doing. Hence Rose playing with Sophia's yarn, and it explains the caterwauls they've been hearing from Blanche's room. It's all part of their method acting. For a role, it sounds like Blanche has been practicing for, for years. <coughs> now that the girls have been scolded, it's Dorothy's turn to get at Sophia for not being in bed resting per the doctor's orders. Sophia argues, be it momentarily, that she's fine before letting Blanche walk her to the chair so she can relax. But there will be no relaxing as someone is at the door, and that someone is Stanley. He had just gone to the hospital when he learned Sophia had gone home, and he wants to know if she's there. Dorothy, overjoyed at the sight of her ex, then realizes, oh, she's left her mother in the car trunk. Stan knows better than to acknowledge that sarcasm, so he helps himself to coming into the house. Checking in with Sophia, we learned she did stay for those two days, during which she was poked, prodded, and probed by doctors and nurses as she lay naked under the sheet. This story reminds Blanche to inquire if Ed Tyler ever got back to her. 
Rose can't be bothered with Sophia's story or Blanche's horniness. They need to get to Catton. Coming up with a compromise to meet their needs to practice but not upset Sophia with their scratching the couch, Blanche hopes they could find an old rug to use. Dorothy suggests the toupee Stan is wearing. With the girls away practicing and Dorothy helping them, Stanley takes the opportunity to talk with Sophia. As they sit on the couch, let's take a moment to appreciate how they could both be walking in the spring 1988 Kmart collection. Sophia in khakis, her pastel plaid shirt, and a yellow cardigan pairs nicely with Stan's khakis, yellow polo shirt, and taupe jacket. When Stan points out that he and Sophia haven't talked in a while, she has good reason. She hates him. Even after all these years, her red flag monitor doesn't work that well with Stanley. He gives her some fake laughs, compliments her, and then, as usual, brings up money. Instead of asking to borrow some, this time he has an idea on how they could both make some. All she has to do is lie on her back. No, Sophia, he isn't trying to hire you as a sex worker. He's got a better idea. All she has to do is fake being super, super hurt from the foul ball, and they can sue the ballpark for a ton of money. Sophia has never heard anything so sickening, but she'd also like to know how much money they could possibly make if they were to do something so terrible. Hearing it could be a couple hundred thousand, let's say 250,000, or in today's money, just about 641,000, Sophia is suddenly overcome with illness, joy, vapors, and falls to the ground like a tree. Cheers to Estelle for her behind-the-couch stunt work. Did you, had she already made Stop or My Mom Will Shoot? Oh, that's a good question. Or was she in pre-pro on that? Maybe she's doing some stunt. She's practicing. Yeah, she's doing a little, little tumbling. Auditioning. Yeah. Look what I can do. I'm the mom that, <laughs> that uh, will shoot if you don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> You're hired. The girls have returned, and Dorothy is quick to worry about her mother's location. Then a voice from below calls out, Down here, paralyzed. A transition slide brings us back to the house where Sophia has recovered from being on the floor and is now laying on the couch with Dorothy in her face, telling her to get back to the hospital. Sophia does not want to go back to the hospital, which Coco can relate to. That's right. Blanche hears her, but knows at the very least she should go to a doctor to be checked out. Cue Stanley returning from the kitchen after making a call. His friend, the most prestigious, respected brain doctor in all of Florida. Blanche asks what we're all thinking. How on earth could an intelligent neurologist be friends with Stan? Well, besides being a doctor, he's also a judge of what t-shirt contests. Stan offers to pay for the doctor's visit. Besides shocking Rose, it is quite a red flag. The guy is so cheap, he has a time-shared dog. The guy is so tight, he only subscribes to the penny saver. The guy is so thrifty, he only goes to Goodwill on special occasions. So stingy, he only turns on the light to put on his fake hair. He could squeeze a nickel so hard the buffalo pooped. That's right. (laughs) Now Dorothy's really concerned about Sophia's well-being as she not only refuses to go to the hospital, but starts to shower Stan with adoration. Sophia can't stop saying how much she loves Stan and that she only wants to see his doctor. Okay, maybe Sophia isn't unwell, but she has got some sort of scam cooked up with Stanley. Sophia redirects her daughter's attention. When she was hit in the head, she kind of died. While in limbo, she saw her parents, her Salvador, and even the Ritz brothers, who, according to her, were much funnier on the other side. The Ritz brothers got their start in vaudeville before entertaining in nightclubs and films. Jimmy, Harry, Al, and Buddy 
The latter, acting as the group's manager, have been credited by the likes of Sid Caesar, George Carlin, and Jerry Lewis as inspiring their comedic stylings. And in sticking with the theme, or perhaps curse of today's clips, and that's the Ritz Brothers saying or singing, here, pussy, pussy. <laughs> Before Sophia could get into heaven, she was told by the booming voice of God or St. Peter or maybe just Sam Elliott that it wasn't her time. She still had business to tend to. That business was making things right with Stanley. Stan hops on the story, saying he's but a humble servant to God's plan. Dorothy stops him right there. Mr. Belvedere, the character at the heart of the sitcom Mr. Belvedere, is a humble servant, or butler, if you're being technical. The show, based on a 1940s movie character and a later novel, ran for six seasons. It was a, it was a what? A book? Huh? Yeah, it started as a 1940s film character, and then they made a novel, and then the sitcom. That makes sense that it's it's such an odd feeling show. It's so yeah. weird. It's a weird mix of like a British. That's what it is. Have I mentioned a million times that story to you about Mr. Belvedere? No. It's something I heard a million years ago on Doug Benson, the comedian's oh, podcast. Yeah. Doug Loves Movies. And that he it wasn't him, but his friend was an I think an extra or in the audience watching a filming of Mr. Belvedere. And they had to stop filming for the day because. Mr. Belvedere went to sit down like on one of the kitchen chairs or whatever mm -hmm. and sat on his <laughs> and he did it so bad they had he had to go home. <laughs> and they told everyone that? Yeah, I, I believe that's confirmed. Well, at least well, the story they is confirmed. Well, they saw it happen. Yeah. They, yeah, they he saw probably it. came out and he sat. Yeah, maybe action and he sat on his and then was grabbing his crotch <gasps> and then they came out and were like he has to go home. He has to go home. He he accidentally got his <gasps> behind him and then sat on him yeah they were either between wow. those juicy thighs of his or they had <laughs> they had popped out the back like a little broccoli floret and then he squished him under his butt cheeks wow and they had that probably cost the production like fifty thousand dollars yeah something. for yeah. a whole day <laughs> like damn it day of filming and then one less day for editing <laughs> wow oh Thank you for sharing that story. My crumpets, yeah. <laughs> I have never been so humiliated in my entire life. Mr. Belvedere will continue in a moment. I'm back. And I'm proud to say the word ding-dong isn't even in our vocabulary anymore. And as for me, I'm happy to report I look simply stunning in my new Brazilian swimming briefs. Of course, that's only my opinion. As for Stanley, he is not the humble servant. He's more of a horse's ass. As quickly as Dorothy delivered that quip, she was back to worrying about her mother. But she won't have to worry for long. Stan has answered the front door and welcomed in Dr. Jerry. How professional sounding. Rose isn't concerned with the doctor sounding like he just made his name up. She's rather impressed, maybe even jealous. He only has one name to worry about. No one to mess up his last name. When he asks if hers is difficult to spell, she sadly nods that it is. But she's working really hard and getting better at it every day. Given his interaction with Rose, Dr. Jerry rightfully assumes she must be the patient with the head injury. Stan directs him to Sophia, though, who's still laying on the couch. Sitting at her side, Jerry asks everyone to be silent. As the room freezes, 
everyone's eyes shooting around, wondering what he could be diagnosing under such conditions. He finally says they can talk. He was just trying to listen for a radio announcing a baseball game score. Looking to Sophia, the doctor asks her to stick out her tongue with a, ah. She does so, and within a second, he has her diagnosis. Well, she's paralyzed. With that hogwash, Dorothy throws Dr. Jair out the door. Blanche announces to no one's concern that she has finally found a doctor that she isn't interested in exploring a bedside manner with. Dorothy demands another opinion, so Rose pipes in. She, too, doesn't want to sleep with Dr. Jerry. Unlike William Dennis, the role of Dr. Jerry fell in the middle of Ben Ronsley's 28-credit acting career. Previously, he had been in The A-Team, Hotel, Knott's Landing, and The Betty Ford Story. He would go on to appear on Dallas, Party of Five, and La La. No matter how much Dorothy pushes for Sophia to get to the hospital or a doctor, she refuses. She doesn't want to move. She doesn't want to be in the car. She just wants to stay put. Supporting her, Stan tells Dorothy that just lying motionless can be for the best, something she had already heard from him on their honeymoon. Sitting on the coffee table, Sophia is enjoying the often ignored television, still happy to enjoy sports as her violent attack didn't traumatize her. As she trash-talks the players, the keys start jangling at the door, telling her to hustle back to her wheelchair, sit in it, and put her neck brace on, which she does. This is TV announcer Todd Morris's only acting credit. He was also on the production crew of the episode, one of 31 he worked on. He's since gone on to be an editor, most famously for 226 episodes of The Big Bang Theory. Bazinga. 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 I don't care. At the door is Dorothy, who is happy to see her ma, but she knows she's full of crap. Still, she checks on her, asking if she's feeling any better. With a pouty lip and pathetic voice, Sophia informs her, there have been no changes. Without missing a step, Dorothy continues towards the kitchen while pointing out that Sophia's knee brace is currently being used on her neck. Dorothy's long pink coat over her all-gray outfit really adds some drama to the whole thing. Finding Rose and Blanche at the kitchen table, Dorothy declares she knows her mom is faking being paralyzed. Rose, finally using some of her training from the crisis center, shares that sometimes after a trauma, the people involved get stuck in denial. But Dorothy assures her she's not. But since she's denying the denial, is that not in and of itself denial? So she's denying the denial, which is a denial of its own. With a listen, fluffhead, Dorothy stops the denial spiral. She can't be in denial about being in denial because she wasn't in denial and Rose was the one who brought it up. To comfort her friend, Blanche agrees. She too thinks Sophia is faking. Before she can start her own story, Rose interrupts with a quip of her own. Dorothy's left to decide who gets to tell her a story. Both seem like bad choices, but she goes with Blanche, which forces Rose to threaten to never tell her a story. So Dorothy made the right choice. Blanche begins. Back in high school, she was dating the exchange student, maybe from France or something, named Jean-Pierre Fontainebleau. She deduced that, not by asking him or even from his name, but just that he always had a sneer on his face and a beret on his head. Unable to let Blanche have the story, Rose again pipes in. She couldn't wear a beret because they weren't allowed per the dress code. She was often allowed to wear a long, pointed paper hat, though. Poor Rose. That was obviously a dunce cap. The dunce cap was a focal point of concern for the damage it may cause to children. 
Going back to the 1800s, unruly, disruptive, or cognitively delayed students would be put in the corner while being forced to wear the hat. Dunce caps were used in American schools all the way up to the 1950s. Back to Blanche's story, Jean-Pierre knew Blanche uh, got around. So instead of having a healthy conversation about his expectations, he stalked Blanche, even going so far as to climb the tree outside of her house to look into her window. It's funny to think that a French teenager would be concerned with fidelity given the country's sexually liberated stereotypes. However, GlobalVoices.org had an interesting article about the perceived openness of France's relationships, and they discussed where the idea might have come from. For one, and this is my idea, not the article, is that they are more lenient with nudity. They get to have all sorts of stuff on TV that would send Americans to the hospital. They've also elected, through the years, several leaders that either had known affairs or were open about extramarital relationships. A study found that 17% of French people had admitted to having an affair, numbers equal to those of Spain and Italy. There might be more understanding in French culture, as 63% of people in the same study said they could remain in a relationship with someone who cheated on them. Anyway, so Jean the Creep is stalking Blanche, hoping to catch her in the act. No, not the second act of the 1956 play or 1964 film My Fair Lady, but the act of cheating, which he never did because of two things. First, Blanche couldn't take the pressure, so she broke up with Jean. Second, she had been sleeping with his American brother. They were smart enough to do it in the fake car at the school's driver's ed department. No, not the Eiffel Tower, Rose. And this wasn't Blanche's first foray into using the car for her carnal desires. Without enough time between the story and concerns for Sophia, Dorothy says she's faking it. Between bites of Oreos, well, licks really, Blanche corrects her. No, she didn't start faking it until she was married to George, which I was kind of shocked by. I found that hard to believe. She loved George so much. It didn't seem like she'd be faking it with him. I agree. That's that was the same thought I had that I believe George was delivering that mail. <laughs> but maybe being married like, oh, you've got kids and the settings were different. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. She, You're not just hooking up randomly and like hot and heavy, whatever. I'm saying that she's used to just like a hot Saturday night hookup with a stranger in a car. But then when you're married and it's Tuesday, 6 p.m., and you just had some roast beef and then he wants to get all frisky, that's probably when you're going to implement that sounds great. Uh, the faking it. Yeah. That's all. To prove her theory, Dorothy walks into the living room and dramatically fakes a heart attack, collapsing on the couch. Her act is not good enough and Sophia isn't buying it. So when the doorbell rings, she tells her to answer it. Dorothy persists. My arm, my heart, go get help from the kitchen. Sophia was more concerned with getting the door than getting her daughter help. Welcoming Stan inside, she's interested in hearing what the lawyer had to say. When Stan sees Dorothy on the couch, he's slightly concerned, but Sophia promises him she's just faking a heart attack. Well, Dorothy has had it. She knows that the lawyer is all part of Stan's scheme to use Sophia to get money. He can't understand why she would think that, so she reminds him of her feelings, that he's untrustworthy, scummy, and a cheater. Stan has bad news. The insurance company involved won't give a payout based on Dr. Jerry's findings. Not so much because he's a bad doctor, but because he has a prison record. So they are demanding that Sophia be seen by one of their doctors. And since she's not hurt, the jig will be up. 
Having gone this far, Sophia promises Stanley, with her age and health, she won't be passing any physical. For crying out loud, her circulation is as bad as the consumer advice newspaper U.S. News and World Report. The news magazine stopped printing in 2010, but the rankings of American colleges and universities are still pretty influential. We're back to Coco's dad's building, which for this episode is home to an insurance company-approved doctor's office. And it's a busy one, too. We've got people in crutches, wheelchairs, braces. It's a real injury cornucopia. Approaching the counter, Dorothy checks in for Sophia's appointment. Coming up beside Sophia is a redheaded woman in a variety of green from her skirt to her sweater. That woman is Helen Duffy. She has been working fairly steadily for the last 40 years. She was in Knight Rider, Who's the Boss, Night Court, Tales from the Dark Side, 30-something, The Young and the Restless, Ally McBeal, Hannah Montana, The West Wing, and La La. The woman has approached Sophia to compliment her chair. She gets so tired pushing her wheels all day, and she wishes she could afford a nice model like Sophia's electric one. Starting to feel guilty, Sophia says that once she's healed, she'll give the woman her chair, a surprisingly optimistic take for a paralyzed person. When the woman tells Sophia her doctors have told her not to worry about walking again, Sophia dismisses any doctor's opinions. Sure, they went to school for a long time, but they aren't smart enough to warm up their hands before doing a breast exam, so how bright are they? As the woman wheels away, Sophia leans over to Stanley. She can't handle taking advantage of the situation when these people are in real pain and need. Stan heard it all too, and he's wondering if Sophia has any gum. When she persists with her crisis of the conscience, he reminds her of what they're doing all of this for. The money! When a little boy comes in on crutches, Stan begs Sophia to ignore everything, especially the kid, and just stay focused on the money. Matthew Brooks, or Timmy, as he's known in this episode, is a fellow Oregonian. He left his acting career in his childhood, but not before having roles on Night Court, Days of Our Lives, Doogie Howser, Valerie, Empty Nest, and Beethoven, where he played Bully Number 3. Ah, gotta love the names of 80s and 90s kid characters. Matthew played characters named Timmy, Jimmy, Bobby, Joey, Terry, Tyler, Alex, and Tim. Timmy is quickly drawn to Sophia, and he introduces himself. When Dorothy comes back from checking in, she said the schedule was messed up, and they were wondering if Timmy could go in first. But he insists. Sophia is sick, too. She needs to see the doctor. That does it. With a ripping of the neck brace and a miraculous standing, Sophia outs herself. She's done with it. Trying to save himself, Stan attempts to act equally shocked. He can't believe he was duped by Sophia. Dorothy lets him know she finds him to now be less than the scum of the earth. Sophia speaks to the crowd of patients. She's sorry. Here, in front of all these people who really need help, she was taking advantage, and she's apologetic and humbled. The woman in the wheelchair looks around and asks if they all forgive her. Everyone then follows Sophia's example and stands up without aid, ripping off braces and bandages. They had been as fake as she was. Using her contacts with the local actors through Blanche and Rose, Dorothy hired them to pose as patients, knowing it would be what would break her mother. Even Timmy was an actor, better known for his role in Burger City commercials. When Sophia asks if he is that kid from a specific commercial, she nearly spits in his face with disgust at his acting ability. They're back at the house, on the couch. 
Dorothy is desperate to have her mother speak to her, if not forgive her, and hopefully realize that she only pulled that prank because it was the right thing to do. She felt like Sophia had been possessed by Satan, I mean Stanley, and she, like our queen, Ellen Burstyn, had to get it exercised, as in the 1971 novel and 1973 film. Oh, what are you talking about, for sakes? Did you see her or not? You tell me you know for a fact that an exorcism wouldn't do any good. You tell me that! Walking through the living room is Rose in her yellow cat outfit. I hadn't noticed before, but the left side is actually tiger stripes and the right is leopard print, so that's fun. As she struts across the room, she shares that she's off to rehearsal and she's enjoying the weather so much that she wants to walk there. Dorothy can't believe she would walk like that, as in her outfit. Rose doesn't get it, and she says that she'll probably walk with bigger strides once she's outside. How envious to care that little about what other people think. Before Sophia and Dorothy can make amends, there's a ruckus outside. Flying through the front door is Rose the cat, followed by Dreyfus. She's in big trouble. It took a bunch of people a long time to get him off the plastic flamingos from the neighbor's yard. Okay, bonus content for today. I never saw a Boy Scout, but there is one listed on the IMDb page, and it says that Lon Harbor is portraying him. He had his first of only 22 roles on The Girls, but after appearing in Passions, Entourage, Rush Hour 3, Law & Order, he has gone on to have a huge career in writing and publicity. How did you feel about this episode, Coco? Had you seen it before? I had never seen it before. I'm a huge fan of videos of people getting hit with sports balls at events. I watched one yesterday of a woman sitting very close to the court at a basketball game and taking a basketball in super slow motion to the face, <laughs> right to her face. I love what it does to the skin on the head is that it makes like a <laughs> the Jurassic ripple. Park water ripple. Yeah. <laughs> the hands go, oh, because it's like a basketball. Yeah, that would hurt. That would hurt. But more than anything, the surprise of being just pummeled from yeah. the air. But you buy, you buy your ticket. You take the ride. That ride could include getting your your nachos sprayed everywhere by an errant ball. That's right. And I'm down with that. I mean, honestly, I've seen I've been to a few hockey games in my life. I've there are so many pucks flying up in there all over the place. It's it's not safe there. You should wear a helmet to a hockey game, even if you're not playing. You should probably wear a helmet all all the time. I I wouldn't mind doing that. Can you do that? What do you think of the episode? Good. Three stars. <laughs> it's not a great episode, but every... Yeah, it's not like the funniest and it's not... It's kind of not extreme in any direction. Yeah, there wasn't enough of Stan being Stan. Like, it wasn't yeah. a big Stan episode. He was just kind of there. It felt like it was just, like, kind of a means to an end, that episode. And it f felt so cobbled together. The baseball thing was weird and then it turned into a scam. I thought it was going to be, like... I thought it was going to be that Stan had, like, set that up somehow. Oh, the ball. Yeah. Yeah. The Cats musical being in it was odd. It was, I, yeah, it was okay. And I laughed. And I thought that the twist at the end was great. I thought, I did not see that coming that they were all actors. That was good. That that was really surprising to me. Yeah, that's a um, fun one. That was really good. And, and, and it kind of has heart there in that way. You know, there's that lesson of don't lie yeah. and don't try to scam people. 
but it's also not like a real lesson. Like yeah, a real moral, no. and like it's not a, it's not a super fluff episode where there's nothing there. And those are always fun, too. And it's not a heavier one where it's like, oh, it really makes you think about that thing in your life. Yeah. It's, it's not, just kind of like, oh, these two scammers. Yeah, they're not they're not covering a topic that people yeah. are just like, we have to stop this medical <laughs> fraud. <laughs> and I agree. Three stars because it's funny. And Estelle does some great physical comedy. I mean, we watched uh, uh, an Adam Sandler movie last night and we loved him yelling at these kids. Yes. Sophia, great, great kid yelling in this yeah. show. Great, great episode for that. Uh, yeah, so overall, kind of right in the middle of the pack. Today's lesson was pretty elementary. Don't lie. Maybe Sophia learned a lesson after being embarrassed, rightfully, in front of a group of actors. More than that, she's lucky there weren't worse consequences. I'm pretty sure filing a lawsuit against a ballpark and then just being like, oh, just kidding, I'm not hurt and now I have feelings about it, could have led to actual legal issues like criminal charges. Sometimes you have an episode that's just flat out funny and that's okay, especially when it involves grown women in cat costumes. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for being a friend. Be sure to join us next week for the first part of Sophia's Wedding. Need to get like a a stick. <laughs> like a like a well, a slim jim would work. <laughs> A meat stick. A meat stick so that you can keep your hand in a blanket and yeah. still touch your tablets or whatever. Gross. <laughs> That'd be a funny ad campaign. <laughs> have a snack and an extra fingy. <laughs> and then they have like full hands, full fingy, all fingies. Oh, like slim hands? Yeah. Slim Jim slim. hands. Slim hands. We've got slim hands. Ooh, that'd be good. The wrist area on a slim hand would be delicious. <laughs> That's where the I cheese just is. The That's where the cheese is. Yeah. Uh, and I just needed to get the microphone away from me because I'm like breathing heavily. <laughs> it's the excuse me. <laughs> Twelve servings, my butthole. Do you have a rubber band? You could put the rubber band around your wrist, and then that's where you hook the pen to, and then it's always just like about to be in your hand. I don't want a pen dangling from my wrist by a rubber band <laughs> as I go about my day. Just for now. Well, this is my day. <laughs> is this not part of my day? <laughs> Does the sun not shine? I am on vacation. No one licks an ice cream cone going. You want to go? I go crazy on an ice cream cone. <laughs> when we got ice cream a few months ago. Remember that? And and it, was, it was dripping off your face. Yeah. And I scared, scared a, a lady <laughs> and she scared me by making eye contact with me. Didn't make it or whatever. That woman would have had like one of the last interactions with me yeah. before I died. And it was us like startling each other. <laughs> and I had ice cream all over my face. Yes. <sighs> Life's funny. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't. I would like more of that ice cream. And I want another <laughs> round with that woman. I'm not going to flinch this time. I'm not going to flinch. Coming in, he's twaddling about hearing a baseball. <laughs> Allergic to sports, huh? Yes. Jellical cat. Jellical cat. That's what I need. That'll make me feel better. Jellical.
Jellicle, Jellicle, Jellicle Cat, Jellicle Cat, Jellicle Cat. Isn't it like that? Yes. Such a good movie. Dun, I don't have a piano, otherwise I would have been a dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Jellicle, dun, 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 Jellicle Cat. I'm meow. Two tickets to paradise. Pack your bags, we leave the day after tomorrow. Worth any price. <laughs> it's true. Holy moly, I need that stuff. <laughs> what do you want me to do? <laughs> Go into something straight? I can't do that. It's so boring. The whole world is square and I'm the cool one. <laughs> Give me that drugs. I saw it one time. Me too. I'm good. Yep. Ouch. Yeah. Would you mind? Could you do that? He would, between takes, take uh, like a brown apple out of his pocket and <laughs> and, and bite it. <laughs> That sounds perfectly Christopher Walken-esque. They may, they may, they may. I don't know if they were just affordable to the average American. American. Starring Jim Carrey and Alan Thicke? Yeah. <laughs> of course. No. Is it? <laughs> Ribbit. What about the demon in your in your throat? Has it heard of Copper Mountain? Good Lord. Yes, I love that movie. Saturday. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> I think you was the first I know all songs and I sing them beautifully. That's true. And he could uh, crunch a penny until Abraham Lincoln pooped. screamed for mercy and then pooped. <laughs> that she has finally found a doctor. Damn that orange juice. Oh, it gets you every time. Oh, it gets you every time. <laughs> Bajunga. That's funny because that's what I put was a bazinga. A bazinga. But I do like that you shouted bazonga. <laughs> I think I said bajunga. I don't know what you said, but it wasn't it. But I've, it was no, good. I've only seen, I don't think I've seen, I've seen one. Whatever that, I don't even know what that means. Does that mean blue sugar? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, not the second act of the hundred, uh, what? Uh. Uh, I give that a nine. Oh my, that was uh, full on Barney Gumble. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Whatever, man. <laughs> Wrap it up, bro. I'm trying, bro. <laughs> Take a picture of your TV and <laughs> say, Gmail the us guy. the picture. <laughs> I already did that, and it was a terrible time. Kurt Cobain died. Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sisters. Bajunga!